Support for this episode comes from Brewing Services Limited. Brewing Services provides startup and expansion consultancy, on-site QA monitoring and process optimization, technical support, and training to breweries of all sizes. Brewing Services Limited understands that quality, consistency, and knowledge are at the heart of brewing good beer and can provide the necessary expertise and experience. Our startup consultancy services guide new brewers and breweries from concept to completion. For existing breweries, brewing services can help prevent issues arising through regular QA surveys, microbiological and physical analysis, and personalized training. Our popular brewing courses have provided practical and theoretical knowledge of the brewing process as well as a deeper understanding of both the art and the science of brewing to hundreds of brewers and others in the industry. Drawing on more than 30 years experience, Brewing Services Limited has helped over 250 breweries in the UK and further afield to reach their full potential. To find out more about Brewing Services Limited, head to brewingservices.co.uk or visit us at Stand 406 at the Brewers Congress in December. So what's it like when the world's second largest brewing business calls you up and they say, hey, we'd like to chat because we'd like to support your company's growth? Jez Gulorn, co-founder of Brixton Brewery, figured it was a hoax. His co-founders at the London business also assumed that call in 2016 was a hoax. But this wasn't the case. And one year later, the company that the team had started back in 2013 partnered with Heineken. Five years on, Brixton Brewery is now fully owned by the international business. So at our recent Brewers Lectures in Bristol, we invited Jez to deliver a little bit of insight into how that partnership came about, what it meant for them as a brewery and a business, and also share some helpful experiences that will apply to any brewery as it scales up production and distribution. Hello and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. And I'm Velo Mitrovich. I first met Jez Galorn, co-founder of Brixton Brewery back in 2016. Dressed head to toe in brewing overalls, he was under the cosh, balancing half a dozen different tasks while also overseeing a brew at the company's Railway Arch Brewery. The South London site just a stone's throw from the frenetic melting pot high road that connects Brixton Road and Brixton Hill, was full to the brim. This was the sign of a business enjoying steady growth, but one that was balancing the endless commitments that come with such territory. But five years is a long time. In the world of brewing, that's something of a lifetime, and much has changed since then and 2021. So here is Jez, who co-founded Brixton Brewery with Libby Galorn, Mike Ross and Zochil Benjamin to tell us more about the business and the journey he has taken since starting out back in 2013. You may not be familiar with us as a brewery, so I'm going to start just by with a quick intro of how we started out and then I'll pick up our story arc from when we were first approached by Heineken in 2016 and things started to get interesting. So, two couples walk into a bar. That's literally how Brixton Brewery or the idea for the brewery started. I think we probably share a similar story with lots of modern breweries in the UK. Passionate home brewers, 
that wanted to turn pro, tick that box. Uh, disillusioned with our current careers, tick. Start a brewery in a railway arch, tick. So I don't think our story, our original story, was that different to perhaps many others. I don't know if you've got railway arches in Bristol, but um, in London, that's how most of us started out. And you know, if I think about our original aim for the brewery, it was to create a local brewery first and foremost that reflected Brixton's values. And if you know Brixton as a place, you know, those are of openness, inclusivity, a place that is really, really welcoming to all and everyone. So we tried to embody this in the beers we brewed. So quite easy drinking, balanced, accessible beers and also making sure that we were really well-rooted in the community, the local community, and we served it. I think it's fair to say our initial ambitions were very local. For some time, we didn't even have a delivery van. We would deliver by foot to all of our customers in Brixton, mainly in the markets there. We borrowed a trolley from the cash and carry in the railway arch next door to us. So I think it's fair to say that we had humble beginnings. But humble beginnings doesn't mean the team didn't have ambitions for growth. But we were always ambitious for the brand. And, you know, I personally had been really inspired by the amazing story of Brooklyn Brewery. That was also started by two home brewing neighbors, much like we were, who moved to Brooklyn uh, with their young families, much like we did, and wanted to put Brooklyn on the map for great beer. We read their book and we kind of used it as a manual for how to open Brixton Brewery because a lot of their story resonated with us. So I'm talking about how we went from being a local brewery to suddenly being catapulted into a, a different world. But before I get onto that, let's just talk about where we, are, where we were at that point. So we grew slowly um, and by the end of 2017, we had an annual production of around 2,800 hectolitres. We were in three railway arches, and these were so crammed full of tanks that we literally had to chop bits off our griskate stairs to squeeze more in. Uh, you know, we were really un under pressure to grow production, but no space to do it. And we were seeing a lot of demand for our beers, but it was really important to us to brew them and, you know, re retain those ties to Brixton. We had no dedicated sales of marketing or marketing at that point. Uh, we had a relatively local customer base with, I estimate, about 90% of our beer delivered within five miles of the brewery with a van by this point. Then in November 2017, it was actually the day before the Brewers, no, the day after the Brewers Congress in London, we announced that we had sold 49% of the business to Heineken UK in order to build a new brewery. And I can remember that day very, very vividly at the Brewers Congress in the room with you know, all of our peers, knowing that we were going to announce this news the next day, but having to keep it quiet um, because we hadn't quite dotted the I's and crossed the T's, and it was all incredibly surreal. To be honest, I don't think anyone saw it coming, given our relative size and position in the world of craft beer back then. But these deals don't happen overnight, and conversations between Brixton Brewery and Heineken had started one year before, even if the team had initially thought that someone was having them on. So around a, a year earlier, I got a message out of the blue on LinkedIn from Heineken's then craft marketing manager. And it was pretty short and to the point, it just said, we like your beers, we like your brand, we wanna see if we can support your growth, do you wanna chat? To be honest, I initially thought it was a hoax. I sent it to Mike, my business partner, 
And he also thought it was a joke. You know, it was, it was completely out of the blue. We then obviously took it seriously, replied, said, sure, come down for a chat. And I arranged our first meeting. That took place in the mezzanine of our railway arch. I was sat in an old armchair my mum had given me. I was kind of crammed in under the arch, kind of stooping because um, we couldn't stand up in our mezzanine. It was freezing. You know, there was a fan heater on full blast just to keep the cold at bay. So it was very, very humble and a uh, bit of a weird place to meet the world's second largest brewer, but that's what we did. By the way, this is why I can't really respect uh, breweries like Mikula because I don't think that they've spent enough or probably any time in a freezing railway arch. Just want to throw that one in there. But it did feel for us very natural and comfortable to start a conversation with Heineken. You know, we were three years old by that point and fairly established, but we never really felt fully part of or craved to be in the club of craft beer. To us, at times, it just felt a bit exclusive and not really what we were about and what we felt Brixton, the place, was about that we were trying to, to represent. Nor did we really have strong opinions or views on independence. But we were ambitious and curious, so it made sense to talk. In those early meetings, both parties talked about each other's ambitions and soon there'd be decisions to be made. Heineken shared some research they had carried out into various craft brands where customers had scored them. We didn't score at the top. I think we were around sort of middling um, from memory, but they shared our belief in the potential of our brand. You know, I showed them around the brewery, we drank some beers, um, and having done that, I honestly didn't think that they'd come back after seeing the size of the operation. But actually they liked the small, community that we had created around the brewery and our taproom and the community that we were part of. Uh, they loved the authenticity, they liked our community ethos, and they did keep coming back for more chats. And this culminated in the deal a year later to sell 49% of the business and build a new brewery together and crucially to get access to their distribution to fill the new brewery. Because obviously you can be really vulnerable as a business when you build a brewery and scale up. And we were very fortunate that we could do this with the knowledge that we had a pretty big customer for the beer waiting once we were in production. I also get asked, was it a difficult decision? And to be honest, ultimately, it was a fairly easy decision for us because it felt like the right decision for our brand and our business. It also felt like an opportunity that we couldn't turn down. They don't come along that often. And, um, you know, that's why I entitled the talk Embracing the Opportunity, because this felt like perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity, much like when we launched the brewery. And, you know, that was, you know, a moment in craft beer that we felt was really important to be part of and do it in Brixton. And with new partners involved in the business came a raft of benefits, too. Obviously, you know, it also provided security, stability and huge opportunities, too. It's also incredibly exciting and, you know, we're very, very proud of our partnership. We wear our success on our sleeve. We don't shy away from it. We feel it's a huge endorsement of our brand and our mission. Um, and, you know, we celebrate it wherever we can. But I also think it's important to recognize that we're extremely fortunate to have supportive partners um, that have helped us navigate what has been a difficult year and a half, you know, through the pandemic with pubs being shut and then the subsequent 
supply chain distortions that I think we're all experiencing now. And I'm hoping that, yeah, those go away soon. With new ownership, Jez says that some things have changed while some have stayed the same. Something that I often get asked is, you know, what changes when you partner with uh, someone like Heineken? I think the truth is some things don't change and others do, and maybe not the ones that you expect. So what has changed since we first formed our partnership in 2017? One thing that's definitely changed is our untapped rating. And, um, you know, I think pre, pre-announcement, it was around 3.74 and post uh, or today it's around 3.52. So obviously, you know, sentiment towards us has changed. I think that's fine. And, you know, we, we respect that. Um, you know, that's just one barometer of, uh, you know, the, the feelings and the passion in craft beer and uh, the importance of independence to a lot of people. So we get that. Another thing that has changed is our product mix. It shifted a lot towards draft. I think at the time of the deal, we were around 50% small pack, 50% uh, cask and keg. We're now about 80% keg uh, and the remainder in cans. No cask or bottle today. And I think that's mainly due to the fact that as you grow, your commercial strategy changes. So when we first started out, we didn't have much beer. We tried to look bigger than we were by actually putting, you know, a relatively small amount of beer into bottle, into small pack, so that we could be in more outlets and look, you know, more visible as a brand and grow. And I think, you know, the routes to market for craft beer were in that direction now. Whereas I think we've certainly evolved and I think the market's involved and we've got much larger volumes of beer and we're trying to get that into more pubs. So we've um, gone from, you know, 50% small pack down to 20. And I think as we grow, um, that 20, that relative volume will probably shrink even further as we you know, go into more pubs. Um, so basically we pivoted, but this also meant during the pandemic, it was really hard to pivot back to small pack because we didn't have those, um, all of those routes to market, um, you know, with the pubs being shut, we weren't really in grocery at that time. Uh, we are now, so we're a bit more resilient. And that meant that we had to dump an awful lot of beer. I think um, at the last sort of counting, we poured about 100,000 litres of beer down the drain, um, which was very painful. The team, like many before them, are also quizzed on how their beer recipes have changed. People also talk about recipes when you get a, a big beer owner. And my experience is recipes do change. They have to, naturally, because... You brew your beers on a different kit, uh, bigger batch sizes. You have to adapt your recipes, scale them up. Uh, Beers, I think, do change when you do that. You have to dial the recipes back in. But in my experience, there's been no pressure for us to change any of our recipes to make the beer cheaper, basically. The beer may remain the same price or it may get cheaper, but that's because of economies of scale, not because we're basically changing the recipes. You know, we don't ever compromise on ingredients. And I actually looked at um, our hop usage today versus when we used to brew pre-deal on our old brewery. And I worked out we're using a roughly about one gram per litre more of hops across the beers. So at our scale, that's almost three tonnes more hops a year than we were previously. We're also getting better extraction uh, because we have better equipment and that kind of thing. So, you know, we're not trying to 
change our beers flavor-wise. We're actually trying to keep up with flavor tastes, and they're probably more hoppy now than they have been in the past. And you know, there's there's no big beer overlord saying make your beers cheaper. So I just wanted to highlight that. Uh, that's not been our experience. One thing that has changed though is the brewery's relationship with retail. Another thing that obviously happens when you go into a partnership like this is some doors open while others close. Uh, we have lost customers, primarily independent uh, craft beer retailers, which you know we respect. Uh, we never take that personally. And we also hope that as we kind of move up, bring our brand more into, I guess, the mainstream of beer, um, that that might create opportunities for others um, on those retailers' shelves or bar. But fortunately, we've also gained a lot of customers, uh, a lot of new routes to market, to manage. And if I look at our growth since pre-partnership to where we are this year, um, I think this year we're probably going to sell about 28,000 hectolitres, um, which is still relatively small, but it's about a tenfold increase on where we were pre-partnership. You know, obviously, we haven't been able to sell throughout the whole year, so we've lost some sales there, like I'm sure everyone has. And if I compare us to some of our perceived now direct competitors, we're much, much smaller than some competitors that we're competing with now that we're kind of in the Heineken world, maybe by, again, a factor of 10 or something like that. So that provides a challenge to our business to try and um, close that gap. Brixton Brewery has found itself dealing with larger customers and as a result, adopting different commercial strategies. For Jez, planning ahead is key. So as we've grown, you start, or we've started to deal with bigger customers. That's been quite a steep learning curve for us, adapting to their purchasing power and uh, the associated commercials. And I think if you're looking to do the same, um, one thing I would say is, you know, bear that in mind, because if you want di bigger distribution, it's gonna cost you. Um, and you may need to allow for deeper discounts in your beer, I think, Try and build that into your business model uh, would be my advice because there are times that we haven't done that. You may find that that creates a bit of a, a gap between where you thought you were going to be and where you are, actually are. Other things in terms of commercials, uh, we try and be much more disciplined about forward planning these days. I'm not much of a planner, but I've learned to plan ahead and I think it does uh, really help. So, you know, we create three-year business plans where we try and build in sales forecasts, capex, things like paying more national insurance that'll kick in in April next year. You know, all these things, um, try not to let them catch you off guard. You know, look ahead, plan for it, uh, make sure you're gonna have enough cash in the business to support your ambitions. Uh, we do 12-month marketing plans, um, which is actually really fun. I enjoy that part much more than the three-year business plans. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, something that's really important as well is, you know, try and project forward, you know, where you want your brand to be and make sure your marketing plans align with your growth ambitions. While there are facts and figures involved in a buyout, Jez says there is an emotional element of the story as well. You know, obviously we're not owners of the brewery anymore. We still run the brewery and we're still in there, but it does definitely feel different. It changes the way that you kind of feel. I think originally after we announced the sale, I went through a few kind of emotional stages and um, someone said to me, I think you're going through mourning. And I can't remember what the seven stages of mourning are, but there was a definite 
emotional adjustment that I had to make. But you know, we have no regrets. We believe that we made the right decision, and you know, it's a big, exciting future for us. But just wanted to call that one out. Partnership benefits. So we benefit uh, mainly from access to expertise and support, and obviously significant distribution via Heineken. It's also great to have a sounding board, experienced people that we can talk to and access across all areas. Given their operations, they do offer much more than, for example, just having a pure financial investor, which is super helpful and you know, can relieve stress at times, um, which is you know, really great. Um, but obviously, like any relationship, uh, there are ups and downs, but ultimately, we both really want to make the brand successful. And, you know, we make sure that we work together to achieve that. Jez also has words of advice that he hopes apply to any brewery as it grows, regardless of ownership. And the first one is, as you scale, protect your people and culture. It will provide resilience. Um, we've always been a very people-focused business and have put a lot of faith in our people and tried to treat them really well. When we hire, we tend to hire people primarily that like us. Quite a few people that are still in the business just sort of came in the tap room, had a beer and said, have you got any work? Um, and have come through the business with us and have ended up in really senior roles. So we try and hire people that like us and that we like uh, and not necessarily people that have the experience, you know, industry veterans or people that have been around. And we like that because it also allows us to grow together. That strategy has served us well to date. Uh, means that we can retain uh, loyal staff. But we're also fortunate that through our growth, we've been able to give them continued opportunities for personal growth. And this is something that we really need to uh, keep a watch on and make sure that we continue doing that going forwards as a business. The other one is, if, as you mature as an organization, it takes a lot of time and effort to professionalize, but I think it's really worth putting that work in. We've put a lot of uh, time into creating values, policies, procedures. Uh, it's really onerous at first, but it's also really, really important and super helpful to keep everyone in your business happy and content, uh, pulling in the same direction. Another bit of expertise that Jez shares is to avoid overloading your production, if you can do so. This, and to also ensure your brewers are given a creative outlet. At times we haven't managed that and that can put an enormous strain on um, all areas of the business. That's especially true when you're first scaling up. And the risk is if you focus too much on production, you become too inward looking and that makes it harder, especially as a leader or as an owner or a founder, to dedicate your time to other important tasks and priorities that ultimately will give you and your brewery um, success or long-term success in the market. So how do we do that? So now we restrict ourselves to uh, 10 brews a week. We try and allow our brewers to create new recipes on our limited edition range so that they're not just repeatedly brewing core beers. Brewers uh, in craft, you know, are very creative and we want to give them that outlet. So the way that we do that is if we need more beer than 10 brews a week for our core beers, we overflow production to contract partners. Um, and that means that we try not to burn our people out and lose that focus on uh, the bigger picture. Having said that, scaling up is really rewarding. It's great to build a new brewery. It's hard work, but it's awesome when 
it's finished and you start brewing on it and you taste the beer and it's better and you're like, you notice the process and equipment improve, improvements coming through. But bear in mind or remember how expensive it is. You're going to have to invest a lot in marketing and also as you scale up and you grow your brand and your distribution. Sorry, you're going to have to invest a lot in equipment. And then to grow your brand and distribution, you again have to invest a lot in marketing based on our experience. So depending on your ambitions and business model, try not to underestimate how much you need to invest in these areas. And it's not just money, it's also time and energy. Another element of the brewery the team is putting all of these three into is marketing and brand building. So these are kind of my primary focus uh, now that we've mostly solved production challenges and really started to establish the brand in the on and off trade. Community building, both the brewing community, the beer community and the local community. And by that, I mean fellow brewers, consumers and the community that we're based in Brixton. So what we're doing is we're really doubling down on all of our community connections. You know, this keeps us rooted in our home, allows us to tell our story and really communicate our values. We're investing uh, more and more in marketing. In my opinion, brand is king. Brand is more important than ever. I think everyone makes good beer. And I think, uh, you know, it's really important to not just focus on the beer, but focus on your brand building. We're quite fortunate or very fortunate to have access to larger marketing budgets. As we grow as a brand, we need to grow awareness and reach. Um, so we're adding to our team in those areas. Historically, we've added new roles in production. Now we're adding new roles in marketing, events, design, those kind of areas. We're also thinking carefully about our, what our brand stands for. Uh, we're trying to be in, introspective and we're trying to test it by asking others. So as we grow, our brand is traveling further and we're really trying to make sure our core values and our messaging in all of our comms resonates with consumers further afield and fuels our growth. We've been quite focused on South London, then London, then the Southeast, but our ambitions are more national now, and therefore we really want to think hard about how consumers in different parts of the country will relate to our brand. And I think as a founder, it's really important to get others to help you with that process, to test your vision. And finally, Jess explains that the business is determined to protect brand equity and defend its margins too. Something he feels all craft breweries should be doing. So we're building brand equity as we grow and trying to keep things in balance and remain sustainable. And, you know, to put that simply, we're being careful not to grow too quickly uh, by competing on price. We feel we have a really strong brand proposition and we're very careful to protect it. And my recommendation would be you should be thinking like that too, to try and keep your business sustainable, but also to try and keep the value in craft beer. We've all worked very hard to create that and build up, you know, those uh, customer bases. And although it's tempting to allow some customers who promise you things to supply them, but, um, you know, my advice would be walk away from some deals that you don't feel are worth it or will erode your brand equity because it's hard won. Finally, do I think there'll be more consolidation in UK craft beer? I don't have any insider knowledge, but my view is probably yes. I think that some of the big brewers don't have credible craft brands currently in their portfolios and may look to add them if they can afford to. 
so I really wouldn't bet against it. And lastly, I just want to wish everyone speedy recovery for their businesses from the pandemic. Cheers. Thank you. Brewers Journal Podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. And me, Vela Mitrovic. Sound engineering by Russ McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And special thanks today to Jez Goulon at Brixton Brewery. <laughs>